In the CCD classes I teach for our eighth graders, I've spent the last couple of weeks focusing on the virtues and the commandments. The first thing that I've tried to explain to them is that there are four natural or cardinal virtues, prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. These virtues form the bedrock of human character. And the interesting thing is that the church teaches that these natural or cardinal virtues are not dependent upon the faith. Yes, faith can elevate virtues, but they are in fact primordial gifts from God inherent in our human nature. Every person, baptized or not, who has the normal use of reason can exercise these virtues. That's why in addition to being called the natural or cardinal virtues, they are sometimes referred to as the pagan virtues because the fathers of the church recognized that these virtues can exist even amongst the pagans. I like to think that 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 is a great testament to the level-headed realism and evangelical charity of the church, that she recognizes that genuine moral goodness can exist in others regardless of their not having the Christian faith or even any faith at all. Virtues, of course, are qualities of character. They are dispositions that a person has towards doing the right thing in the right circumstances with the right motive. You might say that they are like the physical qualities of a great athlete, his strength, his speed, or his endurance. But having great physical qualities by itself doesn't mean that an athlete will excel at a sport. He has to understand the rules of the game and he has to master the strategies and tactics that will help him to achieve victory over an opponent. Many of you might remember the television show The Incredible Hulk from the 1970s. The Hulk character was played by bodybuilder Lou Ferrigno. He was one of the biggest, most muscular men in the world at that time. So the Toronto Argonauts of the Canadian Football League offered him a spot as a defensive lineman. They cut him after two games because he couldn't play football. His strength and his size were useless without corresponding skill the game of football. It's the same with having virtue. In order to exercise human virtue, we have to have the moral principles against which we judge right and wrong. We can't say, for example, that a thief showed great fortitude in robbing a bank, or we can't marvel at how prudently a murderer planned his killing. Now, just as God gives every person a share of natural or cardinal virtues, he also gives everyone an intuitive sense of right and wrong, apart from faith. St. Paul says in his letter to the Romans that the basics of the moral law are written in our hearts. But because of original sin, we sometimes lose sight of moral truth. Thus, God sees fit to explicitly give Israel the moral law in the Ten Commandments, which we heard in the first reading. Now, when we describe the Ten Commandments as a set of moral laws that can be known by reason rather than a set of religious principles warranted by a particular kind of faith, many people will object that the first three commandments seem to be theological rather than moral in nature. Sure, a person will say, anybody could know the commandments four through ten by reason alone. Children, for example, should obey their parents because that's the basis of family or we shouldn't kill, commit adultery, steal, or bear false witness. And of course, we shouldn't envy others who have these things, who have things that we want because this is what leads us to kill or to commit adultery or to steal or to bear false witness in the first place. But what about have no other gods before me or 
don't take the name of the Lord in vain or honor the Sabbath. To most people, these sound like specifically religious commandments rather than moral truths. Those are matters of faith, they would say. Nobody, it seems, would call somebody else a morally bad person if they violated these first three commandments, as opposed to the other seven. But if we look closer, we can discern that there are very important moral truths contained in these first three commandments, not merely religious ideas specific to Judaism or Christianity. Have no other gods before me. It's a basic truth of the human person that we are meant to worship God. And we can know by reason alone that God exists. And because God exists, it's natural for us to want to worship the one who created us. We naturally bow down in worship before an ultimate power, just as children are naturally obedient to their parents. Yet because of pride and disordered passions, people can transfer that instinct to worship the highest thing, which is God, and direct it towards some lesser thing whether that's their own self or some worldly leader or a nation or race of people or a political movement or wealth and possessions or some sort of sensual pleasure. It's a truism that in the absence of God in our lives, we'll find something else to worship. So much evil exists in the world because people place something in the place of God. This is what the first commandment guards us against. The second commandment tells us, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This is more than a prohibition against foul language or blasphemy. To take the name of the Lord in vain means to try to usurp the divine power for ourselves. People or governments, when they seek to establish dominion over the fairy fabric of life itself, act illegitimately. This is why the compendium of the social doctrine of the church states, Authority must be guided by the moral law. All of its dignity derives from its being exercised within the context of a moral order, which in turn has God for its first source and its final end. The most egregious violations of the second commandment are abortion, euthanasia, in vitro fertilization, so-called sex changes, and genetically engineering human beings. Closely related are attempts to fundamentally alter marriage and family and the denial of religious freedom. But many other common practices fall under this prohibition too, including slavery, the unjustified use of capital punishment, child labor, the mistreatment of workers, the denial of just migration rights, genocide, or the misuse of the environment. These practices assert the name or power of the Lord because they involve complete human dominion over things belonging to God, nature, and life itself. Even the church can violate this commandment if she evangelizes in ways that are contrary to human dignity. For example, if she were to try to convert people using threats or misrepresentations. Finally, keep holy the Sabbath. Again, this is not merely some religious commandment. It flows from the very basic moral principle that persons have freedom and dignity because we are created by God and are ultimately responsible to him alone. No one, not a government, not an employer, not anyone, can deny a person some time in their week to rest and to worship God. Nor can we deny it to ourselves. We can as easily or perhaps even more easily become slaves to our own ambitions or projects as we can to anyone or anything else. 
The third commandment fits with the first and second commandments in teaching us the moral principle that God is the supreme power to whom we always owe first allegiance. Anything else that undermines that undermines our transcendent dignity as sons and daughters of God. The first three commandments, as much as of the any others, speak to the basic moral imperatives that we inherit as human beings, not to the doctrines of any specific faith. Yes, as Catholic, the form of our worship and our reverence for God is dictated by the contours of what is revealed to us in the New Covenant. But even these things take their force from being rooted in the moral law that is the gift given to all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.